Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Just because the Kentucky Book Festival has wrapped up its 40th anniversary of the event this year doesn't mean we have to stop talking about books and authors and some great reads still out there, does it? Of course not. Our guest today on the podcast will supply some of that material for you. Jane Moore Waldrop is a Kentucky writer and attorney. Her bio tells us uh, she knows her home state from end to end. Having grown up in far western Kentucky in a family of displaced Appalachians who returned home often to visit eastern Kentucky. She's also lived and practiced law in Louisville, and she's been an enthusiastic member of Lexington's writing community since moving to central Kentucky. She's the author of uh, several publications. I'm just going to list them very quickly, and we'll try our best to talk about all of them. Retracing My Steps was a finalist in the New Women's Voices chapbook series, and I'm interested in hearing more about Pandemic Lent, a season in poems, both published by Finishing Line Press. Her linked story collection, Drowned Town, was published in 2021 by the University Press of Kentucky through its Fireside Industries imprint, a partnership with the Heinemann Settlement School. Welcome, Jane Moore Waldrop. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We want to talk about all of these things, uh, Jane, uh, but I want to talk about your writing life first and um, turning from uh, law to writing. I was just uh, hesitating there because I know a lot of dentists who are tired of practicing dentistry and uh, (laughs) they're doing other things now, too. Uh, And some lawyers. In fact, I just talked with a uh, a lawyer on a podcast who uh, had uh, stopped practicing law and he's writing now. So uh, that must be a thing. There you go. What, what, what did, um, what did you want to do when you thought, uh, well, I've practiced law and now want to write. How did that happen to Jane Moore Waldrop? Well, I've always been a writer and I think writing is an important part of a legal practice because you need to be able to express yourself and advocate on behalf of your clients. Um, And before I went to law school, I was a newspaper reporter and editor. So writing has always been an important part uh, of my life, uh, professionally and personally. Um, So when we moved to Lexington from Louisville in 2007, I took that opportunity to start to think about getting serious about my writing, my creative writing life. So um, I did some magazine articles for Kentucky Monthly Magazine, um, but I really wanted to write fiction. So I uh, eventually applied to the low residency MFA program at Murray State University. Um, uh, There was talk that there was going to be one at the University of Kentucky here in Lexington. That would have made a lot of sense for me to be here and going to school, but their program had not started yet and I was ready to start. So I applied to the Murray State program and started and finished that program in 2014. It was a 
it was exactly what I needed to get serious about my writing and to learn how to write fiction. Many years of legal writing had taken a lot of the emotion and um, the uh, appeal of out of my writing. So I, you know, studied and, uh, and I think got started down the path I wanted to go. So um, I have been one of the stories in Drowntown, which is a link story collection, the, my book that came out um, just last month, is one of those that was actually part of my master's thesis in my MFA program. It has uh, continued to evolve, but it got its roots in Western Kentucky. And it but you started though, writing poetry first, though, did well, you not? It was actually my fiction was um, starting to get published as short stories, individual short stories. But my first two books were poetry. So um, I started writing poetry after one of the years at the Appalachian Writers Workshop. I was very inspired uh, by Gurney Norman reading his poem, Allegiance. And it just struck something um, in me that, you know, I know Gurney as a fiction writer. He's also a wonderful poet. So um, I sort of started dabbling in poetry and um, those first two books were poetry. So before we uh, ask you to talk about Drown Town and, and um, uh, talk a little bit about it, um, tell us about uh, Heinemann uh, and the Appalachian Writers Workshop and and uh, what it meant to you uh, to be there uh, among those wonderful writers in that great setting and uh, to be on the front por porch with, with people like Gurney Norman. I think it's made all the difference in my writing. I had the, the, the basics and the principles from working on my MFA program, but when I went back to Heinemann, my first time at Heinemann was a long time ago when I was dabbling in writing, but I was practicing law and raising kids and it just never seemed to, to gel. So um, I went back to Heinemann for the Appalachian Writers Workshop in 2017 and just felt such a connection there and so such a uh, encouragement from the teachers there, from the, the Heinemann circle of writers. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty magical place for figuring out uh, your own voice. That's the thing about Heinemann that I particularly love is that there's no certain prescription for what you need to write or how you need to write. You're encouraged to find your own voice. What does and, that mean to you, Jane, when uh, you use that expression, find your own voice? I think to me, it means to tell the stories that you want to tell in the way that you want to tell them and perhaps in the way that only you can tell them. So I think it's all about the individual um, writing goals and inspiration and uh, just what you bring to the table as a writer, that you are very unique. And I think that's one thing, one of the things that the Appalachian Writers Workshop really encourages you, you know, you, you have a unique voice. 
Drown Town uh, is the book uh, published this year by the University Press of Kentucky. Um, it is a uh, reading again, a book of linked stories, uh, the fourth book to be published by Fireside Industries, an imprint of the University Press of Kentucky in conjunction with the Heinemann Settlement School. So let's yes. begin there and talk about Drown Town. And first of all, um, tell me uh, the about the title, uh, about the writing. But first, I want you to explain to me uh, what your definition of linked stories uh, are or is. Um, we might think linked stories means that one leads to another, but that's me without asking you the question. So you tell us what a the linked stories are. Well, that's a good starting point. So um, a linked story collection is a collection of short stories that have some type of connecting um, link. Um, there's a really famous uh, short story or linked story collection called Winesburg, Ohio, which is about that place. Hmm. Another one is Olive Kittredge. Uh, it's about Olive, this woman, and you know, she's, she may or may not be an important part of every story, but she appears in every story. It may just be a little glimpse of her. So as I figured out um, that so many of my stories were set in Western Kentucky um, around the, these massive environmental changes that occurred in the mid 20th century in Western Kentucky, when Kentucky Dam, Barkley Dam, and Land Between the Lakes um, were built and or created. Uh, that was, uh, it was a monumental change in the geography and the culture and the community in Western Kentucky. So, um, and perhaps it's because I'm from Paducah. I have spent, I've spent a lot of time on the lakes and in Land Between the Lakes that those areas really mean a lot to me. So that seemed to be the, the link in my stories. And um, the Cumberland River is an important part of the of Drowned Town also. Of course, the Cumberland River was dammed by um, Barkley Dam, uh, which was completed in 1965. And it created Lake Barkley, the reservoir that filled after the dam was complete and flooded many towns that were uh, along the Cumberland, old towns like Eddyville and Catawba. And those towns are drowned towns. That term is uh, pretty commonly used around the world um, for towns that become submerged, usually due to a dam project, you know, or some other um, occurrence that where the town is submerged. And so, you have, uh, uh, so, uh, that's uh, completely understandable about the, the linked stories and the, the drowning part of that. I think you have a selection uh, or one uh, snippet that you wanted to read uh, that sort of sets up uh, the rest of our conversation. And if there's anything else you need to say about that uh, before you begin to read, please do. Okay. I'm going to read from uh, the first chapter. The first story is called Dry Ground. And uh, it's the beginning of the story. Cam is introduced. Cam Weatherford is a major character in the book, and she is getting married in a few days, but she is drawn back 
to the old town where she grew up as a child and was moved out. And that's the old town of Eddyville. Um, so I will start reading uh, from Dry Ground. A lone bronze marker revealed the spot's history as the former site of Eddyville, a thriving town settled near a series of bends in the Cumberland River, which snakes a course through the middle of the country from mountains to barrens to rolling hills. The plaque told the town's role in American history as an outpost on the Western frontier, as an important junction during the Civil War, as a commercial center and county seat. The tarnished words also described mid-century government projects for flood control, hydroelectric power, and tourism when the flowing river was dammed. The sign memorialized U.S. presidents, vice presidents, and governors from Kentucky and Tennessee, but failed to mention the people who lived in the town and had given up their homes as the giant lake rose. They had been told their sacrifice was for the public good. They were never told how much they would miss it or for how long. So in that passage, the people of Western Kentucky in that area are left out of the process, so to speak. Uh, what was the, what, what do you remember and what does your research tell you about uh, the people who are left behind in, in this decision uh, to see their homes, the farmland, uh, towns and small cities disappear? Well, I think there is a loss of home that uh, has been passed down now for multiple generations since these original takings. They did, a lot of people did fight for their homes and for their property, but under the power of eminent domain, the federal government had the power to do that because they could prove a public interest in the projects. And you know, there's no denying that flood control and navigation through the inland waterways and hydroelectric power um, and tourism and economic development are all laudable and have made a lot of difference in the, uh, in the life of Western Kentuckians and the lives. So there's no question that there was a public interest, but I think there has to be an acknowledgement of the sacrifice of what the, so many people gave up um, not only when the lakes were built, but also under the power of eminent domain, the federal government took 170,000 acres uh, in this narrow peninsula called Between the Rivers. After the lakes were built, it was renamed Land Between the Lakes and became a national recreation area. And again, I am one of those people. I grew up in Paducah. I didn't have any familial connections to the places that were lost or drowned or taken, but I was a beneficiary of all those projects, you know, not only because of the economic uh, well-being in Western Kentucky as I grew up, but also the, the recreational opportunities, you know, Land Between the Lakes had a huge impact on my life uh, as far as being, um, I love being outdoors, I love hiking and being in nature, and I think Land Between the Lakes was a big part of that. The Characters are. Tell us about some of the other characters before we get into that. Is, is okay. this more is this more character driven than it is plot driven? 
It is um, more character driven, yes. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to use Link's stories is because I wanted to show the impact of these changes through many different eyes. Um, I have two, the, the two main characters are two women who become friends in college. They didn't know each other as children. One is from Eddyville, that's Cam. Margaret grew up in Louisville in a very uh, affluent family and is a lawyer in Louisville. Um, they meet, there is a lot of rural urban tension and uh, in, in their stories, but they are close friends throughout their lives. Um, most of this book is set when they are in their mid, mid to late 40s. So they've been together a long time. They have, they have and continue to develop um, and through their relationship, you know, they the lifelong relationship and sort of a yin and yang, they're opposites. And Margaret is sort of the anti-hero of the book. Um, she's a very uh, unlikable person for much of the book. <laughs> so um, I have other characters. One is a land appraiser who is actually appraising land uh, for the takings around Katawa, Eddyville, and throughout the Between the Rivers area. Another is a prisoner who just happens to be in the Kentucky State Penitentiary. Um, and as he sees the town being demolished and the lake starting to rise as it fills when the dam is completed, we get his viewpoint. Um, so I've, that's one of the reasons I chose a link story format. When you were writing this, uh, how much um, research did you need to do or, or have to do, or it was this pretty, did this come to you pretty naturally because you're a, a native of that area? Well, I think it helped, but, you know, to be a native and to, to know the basic history, although I was a child when most of the decisions were made. Um, so I wasn't really privy to that as an adult for that understanding. So I needed to do research and there are, um, several really good works of, of nonfiction documenting all the, the history. There's a really good book of poetry called New Covenant Bound, which um, that was published by University Press of Kentucky, I'm gonna say maybe 15 years ago by Tony Crunk, um, it was written by Tony Crunk. And it is more though on the Kentucky Lake side about the drowning of the town of Birmingham, uh, which is under, uh, Kentucky Lake, hmm. but there's not been a lot of fiction about this. And so I chose to, um, after I had done the research that was available, I also looked at archival pictures uh, from the, the demolitions of, the, of Eddyville and Catawba, Golden Pond, all of this, the towns and communities that were raised uh, for the lakes and for land between the lakes. Um, there's also a really wonderful oral history project that Constance Alexander did. Uh, she interviewed original residents who were moved out of the Between the Rivers area. And I think WKMS radio, the public radio station at Murray State was part of that. Uh, and I think maybe through a, a grant that Constance received also. 
So it's in their own voices. People were telling their stories. Are, but I chose you... fiction because I wanted the freedom to tell several different stories. I thought, you know, the history has been documented. Perhaps the emotion and the human elements have not been uh, as fleshed out as they could be. Are you pleased with the final product? I am. Um, working, I had Silas House as my editor for this book. And, you know, doesn't get any better than that, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> as a Kentucky um, fiction writer, to work with Silas and Ashley Runyon and Patrick O'Dowd and the Heinemann Settlement School group, who, uh, you know, it's a partnership. Um, Fireside Industries is a partnership between Heinemann and University Press of Kentucky. So I feel like I've had my dream team, you know. Dream teams are important in Kentucky. It usually is connected to basketball, but it can also happen in publishing. Well, congratulations. You've done so well with it. And uh, when we uh, come back, uh, Jane, uh, let's talk a bit about your other work mm -hmm. and uh, some of uh, your, your poetry, some of your other writing uh, after we hear from our good friends at Spalding University. As a Kentucky humanities lover, You've heard of Spalding University's nationally distinguished MFA in creative writing. Now at the Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing, we've added two innovative programs in professional writing. Your career goals take center stage as you work one-on-one -on -one with a faculty mentor to gain the writing skills employer's prize. Learn more about our low residency master's and certificate in professional writing at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. I'm talking to Jane Waldrop uh, about her writing life uh, and about her uh, publication this year, in, uh, or I should say in 2021, of uh, Drowned Town, uh, a, a fictional account of the water that uh, exploited lives and, and businesses and towns uh, in Western Kentucky when the uh, lake system was formed uh, down there. I hope that's a, exploited sounds like a sort of a harsh word, but I guess uh, maybe that's, a, we, it takes upon its own life, doesn't it? And, and what, what happened uh, out of somewhat necessity, uh, commercialization, uh, flood control, um, Lots of Rural different electrification reasons. was a huge exactly. part of it too. Yeah. Because, you know, when Kentucky Lake was built, um, it was actually approved during the, the New Deal uh, electrification pro, you know, program. Yeah. So um, it made a, these projects made a world of difference to Western Kentucky. And um, through that, you know, school districts benefited. Um, people had more jobs. There was there were many many benefits to most of us who uh, who live there or who would eventually live there. So, um, but again, I, I think there was a sac a lot of sacrifice for those people who did give up their homes and uh, I think continue to yearn for those homes. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, walking along the shoreline in Old Katawa, and it was at Winter Pool. So the water level is at its lowest. 
and you can still see house foundations and pieces of highway and uh, even uh, brick sidewalks. So it made it feel like the history was much closer than you might think, even though it was mid-century. That connection felt much closer. Was that sort of an eerie feeling? It was. It was a haunting kind of feeling mm -hmm. to feel that connection. And that's when I started doing research on like how the town of Katawa looked and started looking at photographs to figure out, you know, wow, there was a whole town here. Now, where was it? And so I had to do those types of things to figure out what it had looked like so I could envision it. So it was sort of haunting, but it was also inspiring because um, it stirred my imagination. Your other work and and the uh, the uh, a most recent work, um, the uh, a chat book uh, that you won uh, some uh, you were a finalist uh, for uh, that uh, from um, the chat book series, uh, 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 pandemic Lent, uh, a a, um, a season in poems uh, and. That was published by Finishing Line Press, also. So, tell me about about that, and um, and what I'm going to just guess what led you to that. But I'll let you tell us uh, what what that's all well, about. Pandemic Lent um, started as my own personal just project, writing haiku each day for. I started on Ash Wednesday of 2020, just as my own personal Lenten. Um, practice and, and uh, discipline. I got the idea from a book that Brother Paul Quinnen wrote. He is a monk at uh, Gethsemane, at the Abbey of Gethsemane. And he wrote a book about how the daily practice of writing a haiku is his way of going into prayer. And so I thought, well, I'm going to write a haiku um, rather than, you know, the the typical, I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent or I'm yeah. going to give up, I'm going to give yeah. up something. So I wanted to, I wanted to write something to capture that moment of that day. So uh, in 2020, I think Ash Wednesday was on February 24th. So about a week into my project, um, we started hearing a lot about the pandemic um, and then the first case in Kentucky, I think was about March 5th or 6th. So it became a diary of, of the pandemic. Um, so that is how that came about. I had no intention of writing a book about um, a viral pandemic because who would have guessed we would have ever had one. So were, were you writing it all in, in haiku? Um, it is every all entry? in haiku. Hmm. Um, there are multiples. It seems as though as, as the the Lenten season went forward and so did the pandemic and things started shutting down. Um, uh, I wrote more. It was more than one, one haiku a day, I think, as it became um, a more tense uh, and intense time period. I wrote, you know, multiples per day. Um, and then at the end, I wrote uh, a longer poem, What I've Learned in a Pandemic which now seems um, 
quite dated, actually, because here we are. Um, I wrote that at the end, you know, like right after Easter 2020. So, you know, 18 months later, I'm still learning what I've learned in a pandemic. Did it um, help you get through the the pandemic, uh, the, the quarantine? Um, a, a lot of people suffered. A lot of people found uh, different outlets. Uh, a number of people decided not to continue with what the, where their life had led them. What, what, what did it do for you? What, what did this writing, it's almost like a writing uh, prompt or exercise, isn't it? It was. It did become like a writing prompt. And I think that's the beauty of writing haiku is that you don't have to commit to a whole lot. You know, it's five syllables, seven syllables, and another five syllables. And that seemed pretty simple to do uh, when I started the project. Um, it gave me a, a small discipline to look forward to each day. And because, you know, it was such a, uh, there was so much distress and worry that it gave me some normalcy as the pandemic progressed to, uh, to sit down and write rather than just worry. Tell me uh, about retracing my steps. Your other uh, work. Yes, that was the first um, book that I had published. And uh, that was the one that was inspired, as I mentioned, uh, from hearing Gurney Norman read his poem, Allegiance, because it's all about your allegiance to your place in the world and those memories. And so I started retracing my steps in some way. So many of the poems are are have some autobiographical um, themes, but others are, you know, just, you get to a point where you think, um, and you can learn quite a bit by looking back at life at a certain point. Uh, Jane, uh, as we uh, wrap up here, uh, finish this uh, sentence for me. As a writer, Drowned Town has done what for you? Has made me appreciate the lifelong um, connection to home. A lot of times people say you can't go home. And that always seems like a choice that you're making. And what I see for so many people in Western Kentucky is that they cannot go home. It no longer exists, but they feel that long, lifelong connection to those places. And, um, you know, we, we carry those places with us all of our lives. And as a Kentuckian um, all of your life, um, mm-hmm. How special is that? What, what do you tell people that you meet from other places um, out of state uh, about your home? I tell people that um, Kentucky has so many different types of people and places. Our geography is so different and our people are so different. Um, I think a lot of people look at, you know, this flyover country or however you want to 
you know, stereotypes that we're all the same, that there are no differences, and that's an easy way to dismiss people and places. Um, but I think um, Kentucky is an amazing state, but you need to get to know it. You need to, um, I think a lot of people, whether they're from Eastern Kentucky or Louisville or Northern Kentucky, may not have ever been to Western Kentucky. I would like, and vice versa, mm-hmm. you know, I would like for That's people, so even within our state, to get to know other parts of our state. Um, and, um, you know, they're so unique, these different regions. I mean, we have these regions in our state and they all have different names. And there's a reason for that. We have such diversity in our state. Um, you know, geographically and geologically. And I think I'd just like for people to know more about our state, be curious about it. I often tell people that um, about parts of Kentucky that, that I have visited and, and think are deserving of having others visit them too. Um, I'll, I've always, I often say, uh, have you been to Hindman? Nope. Nope. Well, I said, you, you need to go to Hanman. And if you get to Hanman, you've got to go to Pippa Passes yes. uh, to Alice Lloyd College, which is just a stone's throw from from Hanman. Uh, and the same way with uh, with Western Kentucky. Uh, marvelous. Mm-hmm. I, I recently uh, talked with someone who had uh, not been, but uh, planned a trip to Columbus Belmont Park, uh, uh, which all is all the way down. <laughs> yeah, all the way. Uh, but but a significant uh part of the battle uh, in the war. And uh, uh, besides, that's just, uh, there's nothing better than uh, driving through that country uh, in um, late August uh, mm-hmm. to see that uh, corn and soybeans growing. And you can even, right. uh, people are still planting some burley down there. And, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it just uh, such great, rich land. Uh, Kentucky is a beautiful place from uh, north to south, east to west, isn't it? It really is. And I feel like I got to experience a lot of the state because my family moved from eastern Kentucky to Paducah before I was born. So I can identify with lots of different parts mm. of the state. Um, and, and I greatly appreciate that. Well, Jane Waldrop, uh, thanks. Uh, good luck with Drowntown and, and your you. other work. Um, I know that you are continuing uh, to write and uh, we will look forward to something coming up when. Just give us a little tease. Are, are you working on something now that you hope to publish? Well, yes, I, um, I have a children's picture book, which is a biography of a Kentucky artist. And I'm hoping it comes out in 2022 but I'm not sure yet because of all these supply chain issues and all of this. So I'm not sure, but I'm hopeful to be able to tell this story about this Kentucky artist. Well, that would be another uh, notch in your belt that you could uh, come back to the Kentucky book festival as a children's uh, writer. And uh, that would be special that, too, wouldn't it? That would be wonderful. I love the Kentucky book festival. Jane uh, Waldrop, thanks so much and good luck. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. 
Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.